lamb. What a great picture. We see all through the, uh, the book of 1 John that God gives us this picture again and again that we are overcomers uh, and we are the ones who are the victors in Christ. And all this has been accomplished not through any merit of ours, but of what Christ has done by his grace for us. It's always a joy for Kathy and me to be back here at North Wake and uh, coming back in the days when it was way back in the days. I mean, back when we went to the funeral home next door. Some of you don't even remember those days. Preaching in there where you've got the pink light and the blue light, depending on whether it was a deceased male or a deceased female. You had those lights in there. Larry got started preaching in that context. That was the deal. Uh, so we got some history going back here, and we love being able to come and worship with you. And uh, as the last few years have unfolded, we've had a chance to be in a lot of different churches uh, preaching on Sunday mornings in various contexts. We always love coming back here. It's great with Daniel and his team uh, to just lead us in worship, and you guys are so blessed. I know you know that, but just to reiterate it, it's not normal for you to have such high-caliber uh, worship leading each week. So, Daniel, thank you again. We're so grateful for you. So, we want to turn to a passage in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. And as often the case, when I get a chance to come preach somewhere, uh, the pastor gives the visiting pastor the hard text. There we go. And so there's a passage here that tells us that the commandments of God are not burdensome. And we want to be able to have a Senate hearing on this and find out if that's really true and we'll bring in various witnesses. No, it's, that's, a, that's a word that's hard to hear because for many of us, it's real burdensome. And then we feel very awkward and guilty because we feel that they're burdensome and then we try to justify that. And so there's a, there's a passage here that tells us that they're not burdensome, and then how they cannot be. And so I want us to read this together, uh, verses 1 to 5, 1 John, I almost said 1 Timothy, 1 John chapter 5. So let's read it together, and then we'll pray, and then ask God to give us insight into how we are to understand this exhortation from this dear brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let's pray. Father, we want to be among the overcomers. We want to be among those who have experienced the sweetness of your grace, who have understood the practical realities of your power through your promises to us in Christ, and who can actually affirm day in and day out the truth that you reveal to us in your word. And so, Lord, because John is writing eternal truth, and because he is writing under the inspiration of your spirit, there are no exception clauses given here. There are no asterisks or footnotes to give us reason to object to what he's saying. So, Lord, when we hear that these commandments that you give us are not burdensome, Lord, we want that to be the case, and we want to know how we are to experience that and all of its reality. And so we ask you now, Father, to teach us for the sake of of Christ, that we might walk in the fullness of his love, and through that love, demonstrate that we do love you by the way we are committed to keeping the word that you have given us to obey. And so, Lord, we thank you for all this in Christ's name. Amen.
So to start off looking at this, we want to ask ourselves a question. What's the hardest thing you've ever done? It, it may have been a physical feat, something that caused you to have to go beyond your, your normal abilities. Somebody asks you, hey, you want to run a marathon with me? The answer is no. Uh, I don't want to do that. Some of you are into that. Uh, bless your heart. That would be too hard for me to even think about. You, you can't just try harder. You'd have to really train a long time to do that. So that would be too hard, so I, I don't even go there. Some of you have recently moved into a new place, and you're trying to figure out how in the world do we get this sofa through that door, up that steps, and around that corner. Physically, you just can't do it. It's too hard for you to pull it off. Others of you have it in the area of relationships. That neighbor that you've been trying to love and, and develop a relationship with, and they just stiff arm you every time you come around. You've tried and tried and tried. You don't know what else to do. It's just too hard to, to break through there. It's not working. Or, or maybe it's a family issue that's too hard. Some in our culture, uh, maybe even here, have tried and tried and tried at their marriage, and it just was too hard. It just it didn't happen. Or you've got that child that you have really loved and poured into, and it just got really hard uh, in the years before they left home, and, and now they're adults, and it's just been really a difficult relationship. Uh, in, in pastoral ministry, one of the things that, that we face, there's some really hard things that your pastors face. Larry spoke of a while ago, just, just the, the pain of seeing someone that you really love head on to heaven, leaving us back here, um, and rejoicing with them, and yet missing them, and really sensing the, the pain of that, or having to be the one who bears that news to someone else. I remember a night when the phone rang many years ago, and it was a, a woman who had been visiting our church, and her husband had been on a business trip, and he'd been killed in a car wreck, and they asked me to come down there. Oh, it's really hard. And then she asked me to stay until her four little boys woke up the next morning and be there to help her tell them. <sighs> I mean, there's just hard stuff in this life, right? I mean, it's hard. And so when we, when we look at that, we want to look at this passage and think, what is John talking about that is not burdensome, that may be perceived as burdensome to us, it's really a simple thing. The hardest thing you have ever been called to do is live the Christian life the way Christ outlines it. So you look at a Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, and he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Got it. We got it. Okay. Any, anything else you want, Lord? No, we, we pretty much nailed that one. So anything else you want to bring to us, we'd be glad to do it. No, I mean, it's, it's not just hard. What is it? It's impossible. You, you don't have the capacity to live the Christian life the way Christ lays it out for you. And so the hardest thing you've ever gotten into, your, your inconsistency, your, your own recognition of your own hypocrisy, the, the times when you were trying to overcome temptation and you just didn't. And, and those other things that come in there where you've been disobedient when you knew the right thing to do and you did the wrong thing. Uh, the, the Romans 7 experience where you, you see what you're supposed to be living out and it's just not happening. And you feel a sense of failure. And it becomes a very burdensome thing. A very heavy weight that we have to bear. And so he says if you really love God, you will keep his commandments. You'll do what he asks you to do. You will be who he's called you to be. And doing that is not even going to be burdensome. That's not going to be burdensome. We're going, um, the minority opinion from the pew says, uh, John, it's really hard. And it's really burdensome. And this is the heaviest thing I've ever had to carry. So is John right or is our experience right? 
Well, that's a trick question because this is the inerrant word of God and we believe all the scripture is true. So if our experience doesn't match the text, we need to line up not the text with our experience, but our experience with the text. How do we find a way to live in peace and contentment and joy with the love of the Father where the commandments of God, doing what he asks us to do, is not a burdensome thing? How is that supposed to happen? Well, we, we start with an understanding of what is creating this burdensomeness for us. How, how did it become burdensome for us? Because we're not naturally inclined to be obedient to God. So he starts with the love of God. You've got to, and that's what he says, if you love God and if there's a love of God in your heart, what will happen is that with that love will come a desire to be obedient, and that desire is going to be matched with all the provisions of heaven to be able to make that happen. And we'll see un- unfolding uh, what that looks like, but right now, the reality for, for many of us on any given day is that it's not that easy. There are factors that make living the Christian life burdensome to us that ought not to be there, and yet they are. So, so how do we process it? How do we throw off the weight of that burden by being able to recognize what's causing it and begin to start addressing that kind of weightiness that's pressing down on us. One is that we realize that we're supposed to be living that way and we're not. And so for many of us who've already come to Christ, we've already been born of the Spirit, we already know what it is to be cleansed of all unrighteousness according to chapter one, verse nine. We, we understand that, we've confessed our sin, but yet we keep coming back here and our conscience is constantly blaming us for something. We're, we're trying to operate without reference to our conscience, blaming us because we know what God's asked us to do. We're not doing it, and so our conscience begins to, to bust our chops a little bit and create guilt in our lives. When we were doing a campus ministry one summer and, and had a bunch of college students working with us, and there was a young lady on the team, and she came after a couple of weeks, and she says, I've got I've to talk to somebody. I keep struggling with guilt. I, I just can't get rid of the guilt in my life. And I had to be the one who had to ask the question, what are you guilty of? <laughs> well, I, uh, well, that's really not the point. I just don't want to feel guilty. Well, then try repentance. That would be a good start. Sometimes you're guilty because you feel guilty. Uh, sometimes you're guilty because you're guilty. Uh, but, but sometimes our conscience starts blaming us for things. And, and so we, we start realizing that I know I'm not what I should be. I, and my, my conscience is just beating me up. And I, I'm worrying about stuff. And I'm getting all beat up on this thing because I think God is looking for me to be something that I'm not. And every time I start to enjoy myself, I'm looking over my shoulder to see if God's getting mad at me for enjoying myself, you know, that he's the cosmic killjoy kill, uh, kill looking over the, the balcony of heaven just waiting to catch me doing something this fun. And then he's going to slam me for it. You know you're not supposed to have fun. You know, you know. And, and that's outside the will of God and I'm going to nail you. And we get this idea that God is like that. And the, and the epistle here is saying that women, God's a God of love, and, and that perfect love casts out fear. And so you, you've got this guilt thing happening there that's a result of a conscience that maybe is imposing upon you a weight that God never intends to be there. Let the Spirit be the one who brings that about and brings about the proper guilt at the proper time with a conscience informed by the Scriptures and by the Word. So that's a heaviness that we carry, that, that guilt that, that's holding us back by a conscience that is working overtime on us. Another thing that creates this heaviness is that we look at that, and so we try to fix the, the guilt thing by setting up our own structure of commandments that we can handle. That's called legalism. 
Well I, well, I can't be holy as he is holy. I can't be perfect as the Heavenly Father is, is perfect. So I will abstain from some things and do some things to be able to make myself feel like I'm, I'm doing okay. I will engage in what we can call selective obedience. So I will set up the rules, rules that I can, can handle without necessarily having to walk by the Spirit. I can just do these things or not do these things, and I'll be okay. And God will judge me righteous because he owes me that, right? And so I will set up a system where I will have this many months a year where I will not miss church. Boom. One boom. I got it. I will not ever miss my daily quiet time because that gives me good standing with God if I do that. If I don't do it, God doesn't like me anymore. You know, I will share Christ with X number of people per year. I will make sure that I, and then we start filling in the list. When we think about it, it's a pretty ridiculous exercise that we're following. But we begin to try to justify ourselves for not being righteous by adding to the burden, like the Pharisees did, of all these laws, all these junior varsity commandments that we instill and put on ourselves. And the Lord's going, I'm, I'm not impressed. And we bear the weight of not only the commandments of God, which we're not living up to, but then our own burdens that we put on ourselves. I, I remember when I was growing up, it, I grew up in a, a Christian family, but my dad had grown up in a very holiness type of context where my grandmother, who was not even necessarily all that holy, but she had certain standards. You know, the no makeup deal. No, women don't wear makeup you brazen people. And, and that's sort of how she, you know, and we were one night having a little dinner over at the house and, and somebody says, hey, let's, let's play Rook. Anybody ever heard Rook? That's Baptist Bridge, you know. Uh, it's, you know, you can do it because they don't have those evil face cards and stuff. And so my grandmother walks in and sees my granddad and my dad and the boys sitting, we're getting ready to play Rook. I guess I'll just walk home by myself. And now she goes with her little, you know, Queen Elizabeth purse and walking down the street. My granddad is so ticked. He looks at his cart and slams them down on the table in the name of Jesus, of course, and, and walks out and she's mad. He's mad. I would not have wanted to be in the car on the way home because she was being holy and he was not playing rook like that, you know, and you, you see these things and you think, okay, the minor weirdnesses that we put on ourselves and measure whether or not we are being gladsome followers of Christ become burdensome. And we all of a sudden are measuring everything. Did well somebody else said that if you you know if you comb your eyebrows backwards, you know, or if you get tattoos or if you got piercings or if you got whatever, they put all these things in there and, and then you're supposed to feel good about yourself. And God's going, I think you're missing the whole point. And the whole point has nothing to do with your righteousness brought on by your set of legalistic rules. But in hearing the voice of a God who loves you giving you commandments that will enable you to know the fullness of joy of life in his hands. We, we put that whole guilt thing on us and the heaviness is too much to bear. Or eventually we get over the guilt thing so we're not guilting ourselves into it anymore by our conscience. And we get over the legalism thing and realize, okay, that's stupid. We don't really want to go down that path. And by the way, when I said stupid in a sermon one time, somebody corrected me later and says, we told our children not to say stupid, so we would appreciate if you would not say stupid, you know. I'm going like, okay, did you really think that that might be a little legalism thing that maybe you can explain to your children that some things are stupid? Uh, maybe that's another story, but yeah, that rule may be one of them. Um, and so, you know, so here we get to a place where you finally realize, you know what, 
The commandments of God are for my good. I do long to do right. I do want to love God and obey his commandments. But doggone it, I mean, I, sin keeps beating me to a pulp. Romans 7 does keep happening. I, I see the thing to do, and I want to do it, and then the very thing I don't want to do, that's the thing I do. And the thing that I really want to do, I never get around to doing that. It is it's the sin problem dwelling within me that is killing me. And so, again, it becomes a burden. I don't want to keep failing, so I've got to stop trying. And you see a lot of people just bailing out. That's not what John's talking about. It's not burdensome because it's not burdensome. It's not not burdensome because you just give up and stop trying and don't think about it anymore. He says, no, the, the weight has got to be tossed off. This is part of what has to be laid aside as you choose to become a follower of Christ by his spirit enabling you to walk in his fullness. That's not burdensome. He says, but then you've got another issue. You've got a will to contend with. Anybody here got a will? Probably not. You know, you're all spiritual. Larry's taught you well. You, you know better than to have a strong will. Actually, we're people of strength of convictions. Other people are strong-willed. You know, I am with strength of conviction and determination. You're just stubborn. You know, and so we, we begin to justify where we are in this whole process, and, and, uh, and our will begins to get in the way, and our, our will begins to, to recognize that, that we just, frankly, don't want anybody, including God, telling us what we're supposed to do. If, if it's our idea, we're all for it. If I want to share the gospel, fine, but if God tells me to sh- share the gospel, then that's God being legalistic. <laughs> Put that on him, right? Or if I want to love my neighbor, it's okay, but if God's going to make me love my neighbor, or worse, the church tells me that, hey, you really need to love that guy who's treating you like that. You can't tell me what to do. And so our will has to be overcome. Give you an idea. If you're not sure what strong-willed is versus doing it on your own, um, how many of you know any four-year-olds? Yeah, the four-year-old walks into the room, and we've got two four-year-olds in our family, and it's hilarious because I'm, I'm Papa and Kathy's Mimi, and, and they'll come running into the room, Mimi, Papa, and they'll jump in and hug us. It's great. And, and you love that. It doesn't happen every time, though. Because sometimes when they're walking in the door, they're thinking, as a four-year-old think, not today. <laughs> you know? And nothing you can do will make them make this the day. And so the worst you can do is, you know, you're normally like this, ready for them to come. And you're like this this day, and they're kind of going, and they're blowing you off. No, this is just me, right? This is only, I'm the only one that's happened to this. No. No, what happens, you choose to initiate and compel them to come to Papa. It's like holding a porcupine. I mean, you can't, you can't get that. I mean, the arch back syndrome, the, you know, the butting heads and all this stuff. You cannot hold a toddler who doesn't want to be held. It just is. Why? Because they're glad to love you and hug you on their terms. But if you look like you're going to compel them to, every bone within their bodies is saying, ain't going to happen ever. And so we have that problem. God will ask us, instruct us, command us to do something. And sometimes we just bow our neck and dig in our heels and just sometimes in a passive aggressive way just say, it's not going to happen. 
Yes, God, I'll do it. And then you don't. Makes the commandments of God very burdensome when we think of him imposing his will on us, making us do what we don't want to do. It's heavy. And then you got this world out there that, that John's talking about here, the world that's to be overcome. That's an entirely full sermon in itself. But by and large, is that the world is telling us what we should like, what we should want, what we should prefer over what God wants, and the world dictates our preferences and our desires and our longings and our lusts. All are dictated and defined by what the world wants us to think, want, and desire rather than what God does. And we have a struggle there. You look in, in chapter 2 and you see what he's saying about those who love the world are not able to really fully love God. And you, you see the dilemma here. And he says, but we can overcome that. The commandments of God don't have to be burdensome if we love what God wants instead of what the world tells us we want. And so we go through this whole process and we, we see this burden stacked up on us and wondering, Lord, is it really possible? Is it really accurate? to say that your commandments are not burdensome when our experience tells us it's really burdensome. What is John thinking? We'll never know, so let's close in prayer. No, that's not, no. he tells us in the rest of the passage. He says, here's, here's what you need to understand. You have been given a birthright. You have been born of God. You have a new relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. All things have been made new now. And because everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves the child born of him, that means that something happens when we come to Christ. We're made new. And in that being made new, there is this this bornness, this begottenness, this, this given new life thing that God does for us that transforms things for us. From the Spirit of God working the reality of his new life in us, uh, the mystery of what that's going to look like takes us the rest of our human days on this planet to be able to figure out what that really is going to be. But, but there are certain things that John hits right here in this, this book that he comes back again and again. He says, the first thing, you will be doing righteousness if you're born of the Spirit to righteousness. You'll, you'll clothe yourself with the righteousness of God. You, you will be a demonstrative example of somebody who's choosing not to sin, and you're actively choosing not to do that. You will pour out the love of God upon him and the others. You will overcome the world, he says in verse uh, 4 of chapter 5. You will have faith in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the Most High God. You will be new. You'll be very different. And John just lays that out, chapter 5, verse 11 to 13. He says, you're going to know that you have eternal life. These words I've written to you that you can know. All these are there for you. He says, why? Because you can have a relationship with God in which his commandments to you are not the burdensome thing that maybe you think. So what happens? Well, our right standing with God is restored at the cross. The penalty for our sin is paid for. The debt that we owed has been canceled out because Christ has taken it upon himself. We're restored in a righteous relationship with the Father, having been justified by faith in him. So that restoration means that that enmity which existed between us that would cause us to perhaps think of God as an interloper who's pushing himself into our world, we, we don't think that necessarily anymore because Christ has restored us. He has forgiven us. He's given us this brand new chance at life that is now in Christ and Christ in us. 
Restoration is, is huge. We've gotten that right relationship restored. And yet, at the same time, if restoration was the end of the story, we'd be in trouble. Because as Adam once fell, we could also fall again if we're just restored. But he says, you're not just restored, you're renewed. You can be transformed, Paul says, by the renewing of your mind. You can be conformed to the image of Christ so that, that all that he is can become true of you. Your relationship with the Father is now transformed as you are renewed through the fullness of Christ dwelling in you. So what is he saying to us through this renewed character? Our perspective on what he commands for us to do and be are changed if we have a renewed mind and a renewed perspective and begin to see things as Christ sees them. You don't hear Christ saying, oh, my Father, good gracious, what is he asking me to do? I mean, all the commandments of God are just heavy upon me, and I'm having to live in the flesh and do that. This is ridiculous. Nobody can do this. You don't ever hear Christ saying that. He abides by the will of his Father. His food is to do the will of his Father. He loves to listen to and respond to the commandments of God for his people because Christ has now become flesh and dwelt among us so that we can see the glory of God in the face of Christ. We can see what that looks like when somebody is fully obedient to God and listening to and finding joy and delight in the commandments of God. Why? Because he's been renewed. And now we begin to think, well, wait a minute. If that happened in Christ, I'm now in Christ. Christ is now in me by his spirit. Perhaps my perspective on his commandments will allow me to have the same perspective that Jesus did. Now we're talking. That's what he's trying to do, to get us to think about the commandments of God in the same way Christ does. And to have his perspective, we begin to realize that, that our knowledge of God as our Father changes how we see his commandments. He's not trying to hurt us. He's not trying to corral us or tie us up or chain us down. He's trying to liberate us to experience life the way it can fully be lived in the way we were created to live it. He's our Father in that way. Our loving relationship with Him changes the way we think of these as impositions and begins to see them as things that the Father delights in. And we delight in the things that the Father delights in. Our, our insight and understanding of His character, we begin to, to grasp something of what holiness really is. Not the no-card-playing, no-lipstick-wearing holiness, but the glorious revelation of the beauty and the wonder of perfect righteousness in Christ revealed in him who alone can show us what the Father's holiness is really like. So that you hear Isaiah saying, I saw the Lord in his train filled the temple and the angels cried, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We don't know that by ourselves. That's got to be shown to us. And so we begin to see his character, and therefore we begin to understand that these commandments are looking to build into us the holiness of our Father, who loves us and wants us to experience all that he has for us. Our sense of fellowship with him, our sense of agreement and partnership with him in becoming everything he's called us to be, all that comes to us when we are in Christ, born of the Spirit, to new life in him. And all of a sudden, our perspective in this renewal that came after our restoration to him, all of a sudden we began to realize, you know what? That which was burdensome to me before is now a delight. I heard a story years ago of a, 
of, sadly, something that's not atypical in our culture. It was a woman who had been abused by her husband. She had been uh, manipulated. She had been browbeaten, all the things that come with, with that abuse cycle. And he provided regular lists of things that he demanded that she do. Just, you know, you, you've got to do this for me, this for me, you know, just boom, boom, boom. I've just mandated stuff, and it was just harsh. And then you hate to say it this way, but by God's grace, he died. <laughs> okay, yes, yeah, like, oh, yeah, good, he's gone. And then she, by God's grace, found another mate who loved her as Christ loved the church. Very different thing than the demanding husband that she'd had before. And, and years went by in this, in this marriage, and she was just feeling appreciated as a bride who was being loved as Christ loved the church. And her world was just flipped upside down. And one day she was in the attic and was cleaning some things out, and she came upon a box, and there was one of those lists from her previous husband. You know, and immediately the hair stands up on the back of her neck. And she, she looked at the list, and she realized, huh, I'm doing every single one of these things for my husband. Not because he's demanding it of me, but because he's imposing them on me. Not because he's insisting on them, but because this is what I, as a loving wife, love doing for him. Christ wants us to understand that my relationship with the Father is born out of love. I do what I do out of love for the Father, not because he demands it, but because those are expressions of my loving affection for him. If you love him, he says, you'll do what he says, what he desires. Ephesians 5 says we're to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, what he desires, and go hard after that. And so we begin to realize that our, our character is renewed, in, and we are beginning to recognize that in Christ we can find that nothing in the ways and the commandments of God will ever run contrary to the newness of the desires he's placed in our hearts. There is nothing which is uh, going to even appear to us even the least bit burdensome if we see it as an opportunity to express our love for the Father. We, we never see anything in his commandments, something that's too much of him to ask of us because it's flowing out, out of the love relationship we have for him. And there's nothing in there that would cause us to think about anything but doing those things gladly because it brings pleasure and delight to the heart of God. And so this picture, he says, he says, here's, here's the birthright of who you are in Christ. This is what's been granted to you in the Lord Jesus. These are, are yours by birth now that you've been born of the Spirit. And so now he says, uh, here's how this works in practical terms. Verse 5, who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. How does he do that? It's by faith. By trusting in the provision of the Father through the Son and in the power of the Holy Spirit revealing these things so that we long to do this out of our love for the Father prompted by his love for us. And so we begin to live by faith and not by sight. And, and when we begin to do that, the love of the Father begins to grow in us. And love lifts the burden. What was burdensome now becomes joy. It becomes something we anticipate with gladness. Love changes the whole thing. And what you may have thought of as burdensome before, like the woman who had been abused, now becomes a joy for you to be able to share. So your boss calls you in, and he says, uh, I'm going to need you to go on a business trip. Um, you've got to leave and be there by X date. And so what that means is that you're going to have to catch the 6 o'clock flight out of Raleigh-Durham to Atlanta, the Delta flight that we all know and hate so much. 
That's all, because that's where the connecting flight is for you to go. And now you're going to have to be at the airport probably by 5 at the latest, probably safer, 4.30, to be able to catch that flight because it's usually a big business morning. Everybody's trying to get to where they're going. And so you've got to go on this trip. You've got to leave your house, depending how far you live from the airport, at least 30 minutes in advance to get there by 4.30. You've got to leave at 4. Now, to be able to leave at 4, you've got to get up and get showered and shaved. And, of course, as a spiritual man or woman of God, you've got to have your quiet time and your coffee. And so you have that built into your schedule. And, and you're beginning to resent this command trip because of the imposition of this thing on you. You're, you're hating it, just thinking about it, right? I mean, so that's just, a, I can't believe I got to do this. Okay, let's put it in another context. My son got married several years ago, and he's going like, okay, here's the deal. Uh, we're going to Jamaica, Amon. It's going to be good, you know, and we're going to Jamaica. And the only flight that gets us down there that morning flies out of Atlanta by whatever, 8 o'clock or whatever it is. So we've got to leave Raleigh-Durham by 6 a.m. I'm not hearing him complaining. And he says, now, we'll have to, to be able to, to get to the airport by 445 or something to make sure we're there and everything's fine. So we've got to, you know, and he goes through the whole scenario. They're going to have to get up at like 3 in the morning. To make this work. What's the difference between the boss's demand and the honeymoon's promise? Very different expectation of what's getting ready to happen. The, the burden of what's going to take place is the same. You still got to get up at three. You still got to do this. You still, I mean, it's just awful unless what you're doing is out of love and an expectation of something that is very different from an expectation that's born of a requirement by somebody that you don't even care about. You want your job, and that's why you do it, but you don't love what you're getting ready to do. Your honeymoon, if you don't love what you're getting ready to do, I got questions about whether the ceremony ought to take place. But it's a different thing. And so he says, here's what happens. When you are commanded by God to do something that you absolutely just can't wait you're, you're loving the prospect. You're, you're thinking, this is going to be great. Because as my son and, and his bride are thinking, this is going to be the time when we are together. And it's going to be something that brings delight to the love of my life. It's going to bring joy. And, and it's going to be wonderful because it's going to be pleasing to them. And, and my son's planning this whole thing out. And I'm just listening and thinking, this is the way a husband ought to treat his bride. He wants her to have the greatest experience possible. The Father in heaven wants us to have the greatest experience possible. And so he gives his commandments out of his deep love for us so that we can experience the fullness of life in his name. So he says, you do what you do because you love it. And you do it with the one you love. And you do it because you bring pleasure to the heart of the one you love. Game-changing perspective. And so when John says, look, if you love God, you're going to keep his commandments. I don't like commandments. They're burdensome to me. Let's put it another way. If you love God, you get to love what he loves. You get to do what he really enjoys. You get to experience his love for you by letting him unfold his plan in your life and the richness and the fullness of life in his name everlasting is going to be yours in full measure. If you just live the way God has laid it out in the power of the Spirit and according to his word, you're going to have incredible joy. You're going to have amazing peace. Your contentment levels are going to rise beyond comprehension. Your satisfaction is going to be extraordinary because God is working in you 
Because the love of the Father lifts the burden off of you, and you begin to have the perspective of Christ on it, whose food, his his very sustenance was to do the will of the Father. And so that's what he calls us to do. Now, when that happens, faith begins to operate in such a way that it takes up the yoke of that burden that keeps us feeling confined, constrained, and it changes everything. So Jesus says in Matthew 11, he says, come to me. Who? Everyone who is weary and heavy laden. In other words, come to me. Every one of you who is burdened. Every one of you who thinks life is burdensome to you. Every one of you who thinks that life cannot be lived except under an oppressive heaviness. Come to me, everyone who is weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my load is light. The same people argue with verse 3, 1 John 5, will argue with what Jesus said in Matthew 11. There's nothing light about this at all. Our perspective in Christ changes everything when we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And when we understand that indeed He is the Son who has given us this birthright relationship with the Father where we are co-heirs with Christ with the Father. And all the riches and all the provisions and all the power and all the promises have been granted to us through Christ so that all these things which would be burdensome in the extreme apart from Christ are now ours to be embraced and held dearly as those who are loved with a love that cannot be contained and are invited to love back in such a way that we get to please the Father in every way and take great satisfaction and joy in watching the light of the Father's eyes. We see in Him the wonder of the glory of Christ, and we see ourselves participating in that, and all of a sudden, every commandment that He gives us falls right in line with that whole plan of God that He is desiring for us to walk in the fullness of His abundance. That's His call for us. That's the birthright that we have. That's what John means when he says, these things, friends, these are not burdensome. These are glorious opportunities. Yes, the Christian life is the most impossible thing you can possibly do. That's why God never counted on you to make it happen. It's all of grace. Born of his love, experienced through his mercy, and made alive in you by the Spirit who takes these things and makes them come to joyful life in your heart and in your life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for that, that these overcomers